All right, so we are continuing along in our summer series on the 12 minor prophets. This week, I believe, is week seven, six, I don't know, something like that. And um, so I am tasked with doing the book of Jonah, one of the more, you could argue, is probably one of the more popular, if not the most popular, of the 12 minor prophets, and I have to apologize right up front. I am not doing an entire survey of the entire book. It was way far too much, so we're going to drill down on only chapter one. So um, I just had to make a decision in order to, so we wouldn't be here for five hours. So we're just going to do Jonah chapter one. We'll be referencing other parts of the book, so hopefully the Lord will bless you in that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> our God <clears throat> and our Savior, Lord, we thank you, God, for your mercy and your kindness, O oh Lord. Lord, you saved us, not by, for any reason in us, O oh God, but solely because of your mercy and your grace towards us, O oh God. Lord, we need you again tonight. We need you again, God, to hear your word, O oh Lord, to turn from our sins and turn to you. Lord God, help us to believe everything that is from your word tonight, O oh God. I pray that you would, you would steady my mind, O oh Lord, and calm my heart and give me the word to speak to your people, O oh God, so that they might see you clear. Lord, help us tonight, God. Help us from having wandering minds and strained hearts, O oh God, and help us to give our full attention to you as you revealed yourself to us in your word. It's in the holy name of Christ we pray. Amen. So if you would, please read with me Jonah chapter 1. I don't have the number in the Black Pew Bibles. <laughs> Jonah Chapter 1 reads, <clears throat> Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the, she so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and laid down to sleep, and was fat and laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, 
and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea shall quiet down for you. For I know that it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and, let us, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered, sac they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this story begins in verse 1 with Jonah refusing to obey the Lord's call. This call is a prophetic commission to go to Nineveh. So the Lord here is commanding Jonah to go and to call out against this city Nineveh for the, this evil has come up before him. The, the great wickedness of Nineveh has come before the Lord's attention, and that wickedness will not go unpunished. That's been a common theme over these last few weeks in these minor prophets. But in order for us to really appreciate Jonah's story better, we need to understand how severe the cruelty was that the Assyrians would practice towards other people, particularly people that they would conquest in military campaigns. So I want you to hear this quote. This is from a historical journal. It's a non-biblical historical journal. It's called uh, A Grisly Assyrian Record of Torture and Death. And this is a quote from one of the, um, I'm not sure if it's a general, but somebody who was in an army who was responsible for troops in, an, in the Assyrian army. And this is the quote. It says this. Their actions are reflected in the writings. I'm sorry, this is from the book. I'll tell you what the quote is. It said, their actions are reflected in the writings of Assyrian soldiers torturing Elamite prisoners of war taken from the palace at Nineveh. And then here's the quote. I captured many troops alive. I cut off some of their arms and hands. I cut off others, their noses, ears, and other extremities. I gouged out the eyes of many troops. I made one pile of the living and one pile of heads. I hung their heads on trees around the city. With their blood, I dyed the mountain red like wool, and the rest of them, the ravines and torrents of the mountain, swallowed up. I carried off captives and possessions from them. I cut off the head of their fighters, and I built within a tower before their city, and I burn the adolescent boys and girls. So this is an example of how cruel these people were, 
how wicked these people were, and they were a longtime enemy of the nation of Israel. So given the cruelty of the Ninevites, it is easy to see from a human perspective why Jonah wouldn't want to go to Nineveh. But nevertheless, the Lord commands him to go. Instead of rising and going as the Lord commanded, Jonah arises to flee by going to Joppa and boarding a ship to Tarshish. Now, you don't have a map, but where he went was the exact opposite direction of where the Lord sent him. So there are other prophets in the Old Testament that expressed objections to the Lord calling them. Uh, Moses in Exodus chapter 3 through 4 came up with several excuses for why he didn't want to go as the Lord commanded, but nevertheless he eventually went. In Isaiah chapter 6 verse 5, Isaiah looked at his own sinfulness and was initially objected to the Lord's call to go and prophesy. And in Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 6, Jeremiah used his youthfulness as a reason to object to the Lord's calling, but we know eventually he goes. But Jonah, his is different. And what makes Jonah so different is found here in verse 3, where it says, But Jonah, he uh, rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So I don't want you to miss what's going on here. I want you to, what's, you see a lot of repetition. Whenever you read Hebrew poetry or you read the Old Testament, the Lord uses repetition to make a statement. It says here he, he, he rose to flee from the presence of the Lord and away from the presence of the Lord a second time. These two statements are meant to arrest us. It's meant to shock us. It's meant to grab our attention and Jonah's intention here is to flee from God, to flee from, he's determined to run away from the Lord. To flee from God is to rise up against God. It's defiance against his creator and it's rebellion against the one to whom he owed all loyalty and all love. And, what, and the reason why this is so bad for Jonah to do this is because Jonah knows better. He knows better. So if you look, if you, we just read in verse 9, Jonah actually confesses. He says, and he said to them, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And then also when we consider what the Lord God revealed about himself to other prophets like Amos, who, by the way, Amos is Jonah's contemporary who more than likely was prophesying during Jonah's lifetime. And he said this, if you remember in Jonah, or I'm sorry, in Amos chapter 9, the word of God reads, if they dig into Sheol, from there I shall, from there shall my hand take them. If they climb up to heaven, from there I will bring them down. If they hide themselves on the top of Mount Carmel, from there I will search them out and take them. If they hide from my sight, at the bottom of the sea, there I will command the serpent, and it shall bite them. And if they go into t- captivity before their enemies, there I will command the sword, and it shall kill them. So my question is, family, 
Jonah knows he can't run from God. Where is he going? He knows that God made the sea. He knows he can't flee from the presence of the living God. He can't flee from Yahweh's presence. There's no place. Jonah knows there's no place that he can go that God cannot go. Amen? There's no place he can't see. There's no place in heaven or on earth that is shut off from his presence, from his power, and from his reach. So where is he going? Where is he going? Furthermore, this is not the first time that God calls Jonah as a prophet. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Kings chapter 14. So I'm just trying to lay out for you why Jonah's rebellion is so, so bad. <clears throat> so this time here we see Jonah, God calls Jonah, tells him to arise and go to Nineveh in chapter 2. That's not the first time God calls him. If you, if you look in 2 Kings 14, 23, the word of God says this. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria. He reigned for 41 years, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, that's his father, which he made Israel to sin. Now listen to this. He restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from Geth Hefer. Now, if you remember from the sermon that I preached on Amos, Amos was sent by God to Israel to prophesy against Israel during the reign of this king, Jeroboam II. This is the same king, right? So part of the reason for this judgment was because Israel had abused the political and the financial successes that they had experienced under the reign of this king, Jeroboam II. And in 2 Kings 14, 23-25 that we just read tells us that his success was on account of Jonah's prophetic ministry. The reason he was so success successful and the reason he was able to expand the borders of Israel was because Je he listened to Jonah the prophet. So, and the Bible says here that he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Jeroboam was wicked, the Bible says, and he led the entire nation into wickedness. But despite their wickedness and despite their evil, the Lord blessed them through the ministry of the prophet Jonah. So Jonah is well aware of God's goodness, kindness, and grace, and that he liberally extends goodness and kindness to wicked people. Jonah knows this. He knows. And this is the reason Jonah does not want to go to Nineveh. And that's why his reason is wicked evil. Because if we read later in Jonah 4.2, it says, But it, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country, that this is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish? For I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. So Jonah 
does not want to go to Nineveh and call out against it because he knows who God is. He knows God is merciful. He knows well that God is gracious and merciful and slow to anger, and, and he's full of steadfast love and abounding in steadfast love. He watched God do that same very thing to wicked Israel in Jeroboam II. And God extended this same grace and mercy to Jonah. We know that because we know the story. So here's the problem, family, with Jonah. God truly is merciful. God truly is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So Jonah's problem is with who God actually is. Jonah has a problem with God being kind and merciful to, to people that Jonah don't want them to be kind and merciful to. Right? So family, if we're being honest, already early in the story, we can identify with Jonah. His runaway posture is our posture. Every time we sin, whether in thought, in word, or in deed, whether it's some sin we consider big, whether it's some sin we consider small, whether it's something that we shouldn't be doing or failing to do something that we should, every single time we sin, we are in a sense telling God, no, I'm going to Tarshish. The same way Jonah did. And just as a point of application, you need to understand something here. <clears throat> we need to understand, we talked about this in our D group on Friday, we need to understand messages of judgment biblically. Okay? The Lord called Jonah to call out against Nineveh because of the city's wickedness. Right? And Jonah says no, because whatever Jonah understood about judgment, he also understood that it was intertwined with in, within a message of judgment, intertwined in that was God's revelation of grace, mercy, and steadfast love. He understood that. He understood if I go to Nineveh and I preach judgment, they're going to hear about forgiveness. Right? So here's where our problem is. See, we'll, like a couple weeks ago, Pastor Rollo was preaching about hell. So some of us will bring or invite our unbelieving friend or family member to church and if Pastor Rolo or one of the pastors is preaching about hell or preaching about judgment, we'll start to wince and we'll wonder maybe this was the wrong day to invite them because they're talking about hell and judgment today. That's because we don't understand. The reason you feel that way is because you don't understand judgment biblically. You don't understand messages of judgment biblically. If you study your Bible from the fall all the way to the cross, in every place in between. Whenever God judges, he saves. Both of those things are always happening at the same time. He's judging one group of people and saving another group of people. Right? Remember, at the fall, he, he judges the serpent and promises the Savior. Right? And he splits the Red Sea, drowns the Egyptians, and delivers the Israelites. Right? And on the cross is where wrath and grace kiss. So, and that's the place where he crushed his son and saved his church. So whenever God sends judgment, mercy is there with it together. Praise God. So in response to Jonah's disobedience, right, in verse 4 we see that the Lord, it says, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. 
So this verse here leaves us without any doubt who is in control, who is sovereign over nature, who is sovereign over creation, who runs everything. The, the word literally means God pitched, like you would take a baseball and pitch. God grabbed the storm and pitched it at Jonah. Right? Again, we see the author using repetition to, to get our attention. He says, a great wind and a mighty tempest, great and mighty are the same Hebrew word. This, and again, you need to look at verse 5. It says, then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. This is no ordinary storm, right? This is no ordinary storm. These men, mariners, a sailor, these men are hardy, seasoned men who, who work on the sea. They've seen storms before. So whatever, the, whatever is going on with this storm is bad. When people get in trouble, Christian or not, they start first, they, everybody start praying in, amen? So these men are afraid because this storm is massive and Jonah's disobedience has threatened the lives of these sailors. So in fear, the Bible, second half of verse 5, the Bible says they start to hurl the cargo that was in the ship in order to lighten it for them. But the Lord God is the one who hurled the storm. So the Lord hurled the storm. You can hurl as much stuff off that ship as you want to. It doesn't matter because Yahweh is always getting his way. He wants his man, and he's going to get him. Right? So I want you to look specifically at the second half of verse 5 here. Right? Because I believe that this is probably one of the most shocking, ridiculous moments in the whole story. Right? Here's what the Bible says here. It says, the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Look at this. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and laid down and was fast asleep. Okay, so how can you sleep like in a, in a time like this? Like the sailors are throwing stuff off the ship. Everybody know, crying out to their God. They're about to die. Jonah knows full well that this storm is for him. And he sees people around him in danger because of his disobedience. And he decides, I think I'm going to take a nap. That is the definition of indifference. Right? Once again, we need to pay attention to the wording and the repetition in the story. Remember in verse 3, the Bible says that Jonah went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went down into it. Here and again in verse 5, we see he went down into the inner part of the ship and he lay down fast asleep. So here we see Jonah's flight from God led him downward into this descending spiral further and further and further away from the Lord. His downward descent eventually leads Jonah, we know, to be thrown overboard into the sea. And then it says here, in that part of the chapter 2, it says he's going down towards the grave, down towards Sheol, in chapter 2, verse 6. So running away from God, family, leads Jonah to the brink of death. He almost dies trying to run away from God. And it is only because the Lord rescues him by appointing a great fish that he doesn't end up dying at the bottom of this sea. Again, the author uses more repetition to emphasize another point. 
the verb to fear says here that the sailors, they were afraid. In verse 5, the verb to fear is repeated three times. The reason why the author is using this verb three times is she's trying to juxtapose or compare Jonah's movement with the sailors' movement. Okay? So these five, in verse 5, these sailors, it says, were afraid because the terrible storm, because of this terrible storm. And each one of them cried out to their gods, to their idol gods. And then in verse 10, the Bible says that the sailors fear intensified. It's, it literally means they feared a fear. When they learned of Jonah's identity in verse 10, when they learned who he really was, and he was a Hebrew, and he was running from the God that made the sea, the sailors are steadily moving upward, the opposite direction of Jonah, into a recognition of the identity of the one true God. Right? So, and then later on, when the sea comes, and after they throw Jonah overboard, the sailors' fear starts to intensify again in verse 16. And this time, it says in verse 16, it says, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. Literally, they feared the Lord with a great fear. So these Gentile sailors went from the fear of dying to a terrifying fear of a powerful unknown God to genuine reverential fear of Yahweh. So the, the, word, of the, the word of God says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And it is reverential fear of, of the Lord that motivates a life of worship and obedience to God. So the Lord spared the lives of these sailors from death in response to their prayers and, their, and the vows that they eventually give. The Lord delivers them. And I would argue that their response to the Lord is a sign that they were genuinely converted. Right? Here's the irony of this whole scene, though. The irony of this scene in this story of Jonah is that Gentile sailors were more spiritually attuned and sensitive to the Lord than Jonah was, this Hebrew prophet. Right? So the sailors come to fear the Lord while Jonah remains hardened in his rebellion. He's still running away from the Lord. While the sailors frantically cry out to their gods, Jonah is asleep at the bottom of the ship. And in verse 6, the captain begs Jonah to rise up and cry out to your God. This is the same two verbs that the Lord used when he sent Jonah in verse 2 to go rise up and cry out to Nineveh. Nevertheless, Jonah has no interest whatsoever of acting like a prophet. As a matter of fact, the sailors are acting more like prophets than Jonah does. Jonah does not intercede for the sailors like prophets do. He doesn't pray for uh, the sailors in a way that prophets like Moses and Samuel interceded for other peoples in the past. He provides no message of hope from the Lord that would help these sailors with the dangers that they were facing. And if that wasn't enough, it got worse, family, because look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, And they cast lots to one, to one another. Um, and they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lots fell on Jonah. And then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what of your people? And listen to this. He said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. First of all, I want you to know that's an orthodox confession. Everything he said was doctrinally sound. Everything he said was theologically accurate and true. And at the same time, 
That is quite possibly the dumbest statement I ever heard in all of human history. Let me tell you why. You're, you're running away from God on the sea. You actually paid money to get on a boat to go on a sea, and you know the God that you're trying to run from made the sea. Okay? That is like, okay, so this is stupid, and that's like top shelf stupid up here. Okay? Because sin makes you stupid, family. How many times have you, after you sin and you lay down in bed, you stand at your ceiling, and you're like, what was I thinking? Because sin makes you stupid. Right? Like I said, he correctly declares that the Lord is the God of heaven and created the sea. So why would you try to run from him on the sea? Why would you do that? Even the sailors recognize that this is a problem. He says, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why would you do that? The sailors had been crying out to their idols and their false gods. They knew it was something wrong. But now they recognize that Jonah's God was willing to wreck everything to come after Jonah and get him. These sailors start to realize how much trouble they're in. They are in just as much trouble as they, these sailors are in danger and they are in just as much trouble as the people of Nineveh are. And they start, to re, they start to recognize that. They're not in as much trouble as Nineveh because they're more evil or Nineveh is less evil than them. They're in danger because they don't know Yahweh. Just like the Ninevites don't know Yahweh, the sailors don't know Yahweh, but the difference is, is that the sailors start to recognize they don't know the one true God. And the situation with Jonah reveals to them that they're in trouble. There's a massive problem with the God who rules over everything. The God of heaven, the God who rules earth, the God who rules the land and the sea, the creator of everything, who can sit up and pitch a storm at a particular individual. We got a problem. And they recognize that this problem is huge. And if you get down to verse 11, the Bible says this. Then they said to him, to Jonah, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Jonah said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. But the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. So Jonah tells the sailors how to stop the storm. He says, pick me up, throw me into the sea. All they need to do is take Jonah, toss him overboard, since he's the guilty party. Here we have another sign. Jonah absolutely refuses to repent. All he has to do is repent. He refuses to repent. He's already in rebellion. He doesn't even consider repentance or you see no demonstration here where Jonah is changing his heart at all whatsoever. Jonah would rather die than go to Nineveh and preach and obey God. And it seems as if that the sailors care more about Jonah than he cares about them. Because it says here that, he, that they row even harder 
He, they, so Jonah gives them a solution. You want to stop the storm? Throw me off the boat. They go, mm, let's just try to row harder. They don't want to kill him. Remember, when Jonah knew that they, that storm was coming for him, for, for him, a bunch of people was going to die, Jonah went to sleep. Right? But the, they, so they row harder, they row harder. But it was pointless because the Lord is sovereign. And the Lord will have his man. So the sailors, they finally get to the point here. When we get to, to verse 14, they finally get to the point. The, the word of God says, therefore, they called out to the Lord. Oh, Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. They, they, they acknowledge they can't beat the storm. And they decide to do what Jonah says. So these people, these sailors, they clearly understand that they are under God's unrelenting judgment. And so what they do in response is they stop calling on idols. And now they call on the God that Jonah has revealed to them. Because here in verse, verse 14, in your Bible, the word Lord should be in all caps. That's God's personal covenant name. So they go from calling out to idols to saying, please, Yahweh, don't let us perish because of this man's life. Do not charge us with innocent blood, for you, Yahweh, have done just as you pleased. They understand that the Lord will hold him responsible for killing this man, for killing this prophet Jonah. And they don't want that guilt. They don't want that blood on their head. So these men, like I said, they're starting to recognize for the first time that the Lord will bring their souls into judgment for sin. They're starting to recognize that Yahweh judges sin. So these men, they stop calling on their false gods. They stop looking for solution in, in casting lots. They stop trying to row harder. And what they do is they throw the prophet Jonah, who's from Geth Hefer. Geth Hefer's in Galilee. They throw the prophet from Galilee into the sea. And when this happened, the storm stops, family. The wrath of God is satisfied, and it no longer abides over them and over the ship. So when these men stop trying to save themselves, and they rely on the death of a prophet from Galilee, the storm ceases. This, these men, these sailors, they have the same testimony as me and you. How you turn to God from idols to serve the true and living God. And how we wait for his son from heaven. Whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Amen? That brings us to the end of the chapter. Verse 17 it says here that, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So this is the part of the story where most, many people start having problems. Right? This is this point in the story where you start hearing all these arguments against the historical reality of Jonah and and people start making all these arguments, and the arguments usually go like, there's no way a fish can swallow a man and that man stay alive for three days. That's impossible. That's a miracle. To which we say, 
Yes. It's a miracle. That's exactly what it is. The book of Jonah presents what happens at this point in the story as a bona fide miracle. And it only happens because of the Lord's direct sovereign intervention. Right? The fact that the Lord appoints a great fish to be at this spot at just the right time and to preserve Jonah for three days and three nights reflects the supernatural and the miraculous characteristics illustrated in the whole story. Right? If he can create the world ex nihilo from nothing, it's nothing for him to put a fish there. Right? Our God is omnipotent. Our God is omniscient. Our God is sovereign. He knows everything. He has power over every part of creation and controls everything. There is not a blade of grass that moves in this universe that he didn't command. He knew exactly when, where, how, and why Jonah was going to get thrown into the sea. And the Lord could have appointed anything to swallow up Jonah right there. If the Bible said that it was a Shetland pony that swallowed Jonah in the sea and Jesus authenticated it, I'm going to believe it. Because God is sovereign, he's creator, and he does what he wants. But let's not forget the point. Okay, let's not lose sight of what the real issue is. Because I don't want you to focus on whether or not an almighty, all-powerful, sovereign God can appoint a fish, because obviously he can do that, right? The real issue is, is what's going on in the belly of that fish for three days and three nights? That's what you really need to be concerned about. Matthew 12, 40 says this, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And Matthew 16, 4 also says, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except for the sign of Jonah. So the real question is, how does Jonah's three days and three nights in a belly of fish, how is it a sign and what is it pointing to? That's the real issue. So I suggest to you it's two things. First, it pointed to the amazing grace and mercy of God, our Father. So the Father's grace is so grand, right, and so unrelenting that it tracks down Jonah and in the process saves the sailors and eventually saved these people in Nineveh. And we know throughout the course of history, it saves you and me. That's why we're sitting here, right? It tracks down idol-worshiping Gentiles and self-righteous, self-professed believers. God hurled a storm and appointed a fish, and it wasn't for retribution. It was for rescue. That fish and that storm was grace towards Jonah. And whenever you try to run from God, if you are his, he is committed to wrecking your entire life to make sure that you stay with him. That is not punishment, family. That is merciful, gracious intervention. I want you to remind, I want to remind you of Amos chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. It says, I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities, 
and lack of bread in all your places, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I also withheld the rain from you when there was yet three days to the harvest, and I would send rain to one city and no rain to another city. One field would have rain, and the field which did not have rain would wither so that two or three cities would wander to another city to drink water, and it would, be, and, and it would not be satisfied, yet you did not return to me. I struck you with blight and mildew and your many gardens and vineyards, your fig trees and your olive trees, the locusts devoured, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. He's coming after his people. When his people start sinning, God comes after them. Family, the Lord sends affliction and difficult circumstances as storms of grace and mercy to his people. They are intended to be compassionate interventions, and you need to see them that way. If God lets you walk away, you should be afraid. If you his and you trying to walk away and he just let you go, be afraid. Listen to the psalmist, Psalm 119. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might, so that I might learn your decrees. And Psalm 119.75 says, I know, O Lord, that your laws are righteous, and in faithfulness you have afflicted me. In faithfulness you have afflicted me. That's the word of God, family. The Lord sends storms of affliction as grace to bring you close to him, and you have to see him that way. If you don't, you're going to always be miserable. God is coming after you when he starts sending trouble. Listen, I, when, I, when I pray for people, that ain't saved, you know what I always pray? Lord, wreck their whole life until they, until they come to a knowledge of you. That is grace from God. Here's the second thing I want you to know. Jonah's three days and three nights in the belly of this fish, it pointed to the Savior. It pointed to Jesus Christ. He, Jesus, accomplished what Jonah poorly displayed to us. So listen, both men were prophets from Galilee, Geth heifers in Galilee. So both of these men were prophets from Galilee. Both prophets preached the Lord's message of judgment and reconciliation to sinners. Both men choose to die, but for very different reasons. Right? Both caused the storm to cease after falling asleep through this storm. But Jonah's was through disobedience and indifference. Jesus was through his divinity. Jonah entered into the belly of the fish. Jesus entered into the belly of the grave. Both were three days. Both were kept there for three days. Both were raised again by the Father. And Jonah's eventual obedience in preaching led to the conversion of the great city of Nineveh. But Jesus' perfect obedience in preaching led to the conversions of a multitude, too many to number from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Family, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment to condemn us for unbelief. And if the Ninevites listen to the prophet Jonah and were spared, then how much more will you and I be spared if we listen to Jesus, the great prophet and our Messiah? Amen? Now, there's some question about this book, about whether or not Jonah actually repented. 
Because there's nowhere in this book where it actually says, where it shows us that Jonah's repented. But I will submit to you, Jonah's the author of this book. Jonah's confessing in this book. This entire book is a confession of how wicked evil he is. Because only when a man has had his heart transformed and converted by the Spirit of the Lord will he confess his sins like this. He holds nothing back. Family, if you have not confessed your sin before God, do so now. The Bible says he's faithful and just to forgive you if you confess your sins. And he'll do it. If he can save a man like Jonah, a self-righteous, self-professed believer who is completely indifferent toward the lives of other people, and he can save him and he can save idolatrous sailors and he can save the people of Nineveh, he can save me and you. Amen? So come to him now. Don't sit up in this church Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, and you actually don't know the Lord. Don't do that. This story is showing us that our God is an amazing missionary. He sends a wicked sinner to save wicked sinners by a perfect Savior. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, Lord, we are unworthy to have you as our Savior, O oh Lord. But yet, God, you, you by your grace and by your mercy have decided to set your love on people such as us, O oh God. God, is it ama it's amazing that you would save us, O oh Lord. So God, we ask you that you would press that on our hearts, O oh God. Help us to believe that. Help us to, when we sing Amazing Grace, to actually, actually believe that it's amazing, O oh Lord. Lord, we need your spirit as ever, O oh Lord. Help us, God. Help us to understand you more. Help us to see that this, everything in this Bible, from the prophets to the Psalms, is about your son, and it's for your glory. It's in, in his name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.